So if you want to better yourself, find something really small that you can practice without anyone knowing it. So no one can ask you how you're doing or judge you about it. You're, you're, you evaluate yourself that way, whether it's brushing your teeth or like I said earlier, just walking across the room saying, I'm going to feel more pleasurable when I do this. So the Life in Motion podcast is brought to you by Actual Outdoors. They help build beautiful brands that highlight the approachable and authentic parts of outdoor recreation. Said simply, they keep it real. Learn more at actualoutdoors.com. This is the Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up and welcome to episode 152 of Life in Motion. I've got Alan Questel with me, who is a teacher, director, and author of the book, Practice Intentional Acts of Kindness and Like Yourself More. I think we could all agree that whether it's on the trail or on our day-to-day life, that we could all use a little more kindness. I'm excited to hear his story and what inspired him to write the book. Alan, thanks for being on the show today. Oh, thanks so much, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm excited to uh, to kind of get into, I, I know kind of the book is kind of the main topic, but uh, it sounds like there's a, probably an interesting story that kind of led up to that. So let's kind of start with, you know, who you are, where you're from, sort of what um, what led you on this journey. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, from New York City originally. I now live in Santa Fe, New Mexico for the past 20 odd years. And my main work for most of my life has been teaching the Feldenkrais Method, which is a movement technique based on learning theories. And I work with people with orthopedic, neurological problems, all kinds of injuries, neck, knee, back, things like that. And that actually led me onto a journey of discovering how I can help people like themselves more. And it came out of a workshop I was creating around self-image. And um, as I was exploring self-image more and more, I started to think our self-image was a reflection of how much we like ourselves or how much we don't like ourselves. And then I started to think, well, you know, this is my job to help people like themselves. And of course, I was doing it then through, and now still, through the Feldenkrais method. And the Feldenkrais method, uh, there's different modalities in it. There's a hands-on technique that's more tailor-made for the individual. And then out of that came classes called Awareness Through Movement. And they're very gentle, slow movements that affect changes in breathing, posture, reduction of pain, improvement in function, and a change in one's self-image. And I discovered that the, the main quality that we could explore in these movements to help us like ourselves more is actually to move in a way that you like the way it feels. And that's something, like I said, I've been practicing that for quite a long time now. And while that's a great thing, you know, it's like I can ask the question, I ask it every time I teach, is there anyone here who doesn't want to like themselves more? And everybody always has a kind of sheepish, sheepish smile on their face. And I've never heard anyone say, no, I don't want to, everyone wants to like themselves more. And that process has been intrapersonal within ourselves that I would teach people to do that. And then I thought, well, how can I make it more interpersonal? And then I had the realization that every time I do an act of kindness, I like myself more. And as I pondered that for a long time, I started to think that's something we all need to learn more about. It's a skill that we can, we can develop and improve on. And so my book is actually about, people ask me, is it about compassion or empathy? I say, of course it's about that. 
but really what it's about are concrete things you can do every day in your everyday life to generate more kindness to yourself and more kindness to others. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, we could all uh, do that. So, or, or use that, I should say. So going back to the um, Feldenkrais method, if I'm saying that correctly. So what, um, I, I'm kind of curious, uh, a little a little bit, <laughs> awesome, a, a little bit about that as far as, you know, you mentioned kind of uh, movement playing a role in that. So is that, I guess, what are some examples? I don't know. The first thing that comes to mind is, you know, movements that make you happy as in, you know, maybe something dancing, but like what, I, I guess a little, that, let's dive a little bit deeper into, into that for a second. Sure. Yeah. Well, well, the Feldenkrais method was developed by an Israeli physicist named Moshe Feldenkrais who destroyed his knees playing soccer, football as a young man. And he couldn't figure out why some days they hurt and some days they didn't hurt. And he, he became his own laboratory and started experimenting with himself and to see how could he do the things he wanted to do. So there's a much more functional approach. So dance is great. I love to dance and it gives me a great deal of pleasure. But the Feldenkrais method is something that could actually help one fulfill their intentions in their life. And Feldenkrais, he had bad knees till the day he died, but he could do what he wanted to do. And the approach to Feldenkrais, it differs from any other movement modality that I'm aware of whether it's sports, whether it's a, a physical therapy or any kind of medical model. And that is that we're really interfacing around the initiation of a movement. So if we can discover more about how a movement initiates and the, the replications of that throughout their whole system, then everything is built on a different foundation. So like I know a lot of your listeners like outdoor things, so things like hiking or something like that. Most people, when they want to improve their gait or their walk or their running, they build on top of the existing habits that they already have. And what the Feldenkrais method does is it works at a very subtle level so everything gets rebuilt in a different way. And I would say there, there are several major components to it that we investigate. The first thing is we're not trying to teach the right way to do something. What we're doing is to trying to create more choices in how you do something. So depending on how you feel that day, your own abilities and structure, the context you're in, you might choose to hike up a hill one way or hike up a hill a different way, depending on how you feel. And in addition to choice, and this is, this is something what I'm going to talk about is significant to any actions that we do through movement. And that is that we're looking to evoke or more skeletal use of ourselves. So the skeleton is the part of ourselves that bears weight in movement, bears weight and transmits force. And we tend to underuse that and overuse our musculature. So the method is a very gentle deconstruction of our muscular habits. And the result of that, as I said earlier, is that we become more skeletal. And when that happens, functioning improves, self-image changes and pain is reduced. So it's a, it's a pretty, I've been doing it for over 40 years and I have to say, I'm still interested in it and still enjoying teaching it and working with people around it. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. Um, and, and kind of like you said, the kind of the subtlety of it, um, trying to figure out kind of where, you know, the, the initiation of each movement to kind of alle alleviate everything, 
Um, and so like in your example of, you know, depending on how, how you feel one day, you might walk up the trail one way versus another. Is that kind of like just mm. to kind of paint a picture? Is that, you know, maybe a, a faster paced or, or a wider gate or, or longer gate or whatnot? Um, and just like kind of things like that, depending on how your body feels. Is that what you mean? Yeah, it, that would be part of it. But I would say a bigger aspect of it is learning to use the larger muscles of ourselves for power Instead of, for example, many people, when they think of hiking or walking, they think it's an action of their legs. And their legs are part of it. But you can YouTube videos of people, unfortunately, with no legs, but they stand on their pelvis and they can walk. So it's the larger muscles around the pelvis. And for most of us, and in all the cultures that I work in all over the world, I find that the muscles around the pelvis are overly contracted and confused which doesn't allow movement to translate through it easily. And so the result is we overuse our legs, we overuse our arms, we overuse our neck. And learning how to, if you look at martial arts, all, pretty much all martial arts is about getting movement to happen from what they call the center, the dantian, the, the hara. And that's really having a more differentiated use of our pelvis and our hip joints. And our hip joints are, sometimes people know where they are, but even if they can point to them, we don't have a great understanding of it. When I teach in Japan or Taiwan, or people can do things with their hip joints that are remarkable, the way they can squat and sit, but they still don't have a sense of where they are. And really what we're talking about is the awareness of distributing movement further through ourselves so that we can more efficiently use ourselves to more effectively do what we want to do. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, and I think um, that uh, analogy with uh, karate and, and, and things like that, I think actually makes um, a lot of sense because, uh, you know, you don't see, uh, typically you don't see big bulky uh, karate kids or anything like that, you know, but they still have, you know, enormous power and strength because they know how to, to move their body, I guess, the right way in that sense. So, so as you were studying the Feldenkrais method, um, you mentioned, you know, you started to to notice the correlation between movement and kind of one's, you know, self, self being, or, or, you know, how they viewed themselves. What where I guess, where do you think that that initial yeah. kind of correlation came from as far as, you know, when did you start noticing that and kind of putting those two together um, to kind of, to build off of it? Well, it actually came out of Dr. Feldenkrais's idea about self image and his thinking of self image is that, it's, it's made up of four different components. Our thinking, our feeling in an emotional sense, our sensing, and our actions, our movement. And a change in any one of those aspects is the potential for a change in the other aspects. If you change how you think, it can change how you feel. If you change how you feel, it can change how you move. And while each one of those four ways is an excellent doorway, to change how you think is kind of tricky. Like, how do you know when you're thinking differently? I think I'm thinking differently, but we can trick ourselves with that. It's possible, but it takes time. And then to change how we feel in an emotional sense, well, that's something that most often we don't know what we're feeling or we're feeling too much of something. And our, our feelings are quite malleable, as, as you can see with a child who's crying in one minute, laughing the next minute, and how we sense things is even less understood. There's a whole body of work in neurology today called neuroplasticity, which really investigates a lot of this. 
but this is a long-term study. Now, when we come to movement, if we change how we move, it's immediate and it's felt and it relates to the actions that we actually do. So that this doorway into the self-image, to the sense of who we are, is one that seems to me so far the most immediately accessible to create the kind of differences or changes that most of us are interested in. Like I said earlier, moving in a way that we like the way it feels can change to the sense of liking ourselves more. I had, you know, a Feldenkrais training is four years long, and I, I was graduating one group in Australia, and, and when they called their name up and gave them their certificate and they gave them, gave them a hug, I can't tell you how many people whispered in my ear, I like myself more. So then the question is, like I described in the Feldenkrais Method, there's the opportunity to practice that. But in, in the book on kindness, in, in the part about being kind to yourself, which is a really tricky thing to be kind to ourselves. As a matter of fact, when I was writing the book, when I got to that part, I got stuck for about five years. And I really had to learn more about how I could be kinder to myself without being self-centered or anything like that, but of just taking better care of myself and doing things that I like to do more and finding the boundaries that I needed to have in my life. So in, in the book, there's a chapter called Mo Moving in a Way That You Like the Way It Feels. And that could happen just from going to your desk to the bathroom, of just walking out to your car to take a few moments to think, am I really paying attention to the quality of how I'm feeling? And that quality of how we're feeling is something that grows in the background so that I wouldn't say like doing that for one week is gonna make you like yourself more all of a sudden. But if you practice that for several months, or as I still am trying to figure it out myself for years, I find that, yeah, I can like myself more. And then the actions that I do, whether it's skiing or scuba diving or hiking, that they have a different quality to them. And also the result of that is, is more attention to ourselves so that we injure ourselves less. That's an important thing for anyone engaged in any sport or movement activity. Absolutely. And it's not so, and when you're kind of describing, you know, how, um, you know, how your students kind of felt after the, the, the training in the class and whatnot, um, it, it kind of reminded me of, of something, you know, back in, in college, you know, for, you know, speech classes or, or speak public speaking classes and that kind of stuff, you know, like the, uh, the power, I forget if it's called the power stance or whatever it's called, but, you know, you get your posture up, you stand up and you kind of, um, you know, lift yourself up in that way to, and it kind of gives you a, a slight sense of confidence, I guess, before you're doing a speech or maybe an interview or anything like that. Um, and so it kind of reminds me of that. Like mm. you said, it's not a, you know, that, that might get you feeling good for, you know, that, that those couple minutes before that to kind of get you, get you through that moment. But that one moment isn't necessarily going to change, um, long-term, but if you, if you do those, those things every single day, like you were saying, then, then that kind of, um, creates that that longevity yeah definitely and the thing about i mean you know so like what you're describing I, I was an actor before i did feldenkrais and you know i learned all of that stuff and the fact was that i had to do it through some degree of effort to hold myself in that way and that was something that really over time is unsustainable or you can sustain it but then it results in other kinds of problems so if i 
stand in a what's considered a correct or proper way, whatever that might be, then I have to keep myself there. But if we look at standing in a way that has more skeletal support, that has a quality of feeling comfortable in what I do. Here's a funny thing. I'll ask you a question. So when do you decide to get comfortable? <laughs> you know, that's a... That's a, that is a funny question. Um, you know, if it's, if it's throughout the, the middle of the day, you know, I find myself in uncomfortable positions all the time and then I just kind of push it out of the back of my, my mind. Um, and then I'll maybe sit back and try to relax and then kind of go from there. <laughs> right. So you, you answered it really well. And it's the answer that most people give, which is we get more, we think about getting more comfortable when we're uncomfortable. Now, if you think about that, that's a crazy criteria. That means we have to be uncomfortable before we get comfortable. <laughs> and if you look at children, children don't do that. Children, they're regulating themselves through their state of comfort all the time. If they don't like the way something feels, they change it. If you look at a kid drawing on the floor with some crayons and paper, and they move this way, and then they hold themselves that way, <clears throat> and then this way, and they never get up and say, oh, mommy, I have a stiff hip, right? <laughs> because they're regulating themselves like that. And we as adults have learned to ignore ourselves. And that goes from, from sitting at a desk in the office to climbing a mountain. And it's, it's, it's something that our nervous systems can call our attention to, to help us better ourselves in that moment instead of waiting for an hour later before I can stop what I'm doing and go, oh, now I can finally relax and feel better. But when we do that, we build in habits that sustain this kind of discomfort, right? And that we, we learn to ignore ourselves. And you know what? It's hard to like ourselves when we're feeling that way. It really is. Yeah, that 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 makes total sense, and uh, especially you know painting the picture of the young child. I have uh, three kids myself; the oldest being four, and then three and one. But your your point exactly. You know, drawing on the floor looks like they're kind of fidgeting or whatever. But you know, they don't get up and say, "Mom, Dad, oh my hip," <laughs> you know. And then right. uh, at the at the same time, I'm sitting yeah. too long and stand up. I'm like, "Oh wow." Um, and that's that that's that's a really interesting kind of point that uh, that you called out there, and then how that kind of uh, snowballs into your, uh, you know, your I guess your sense of how you feel internally. Definitely, definitely, and not just feel from a sensory point of view of feeling more comfortable, but of feeling like emotionally towards yourself that it's like, huh, my life can be a little bit better. I may not like my job, or I may have trouble in a relationship, but. If I really practice this state of comfort and looking for the moments where I can like myself more and then connecting that to how can I bring this to other people? You know, it's funny because when, when I talk about every time I do an act of kindness, I like myself more. It's not to pat myself on the back. It's not, it's not to like, oh, I'm going to be kind so I can like myself more. It's the unpredictable result that's happened when I do it, you know, and you know, part of the idea came from another place too, which was my dad at one point in his life, he had run out of money and he developed dementia and we had to put him in a home. And it was in Florida and my stepmother was leaving for the, winter, for the summer back to New York. And I thought, gee, he's all alone. Everyone's gone. No one's going to visit him. I lived in California at the time. 
And I was never close to my dad, really. He was kind of an absent father. He was fine. You know, he wasn't mean or anything. And so I started calling him every day. And I would just spend five minutes a day on the phone with him. And he always knew who I was. And that's another part of the book. And this sounds like an easy thing, like really giving someone your attention for five minutes a day. Try it. It's not easy. I would practice it with my dog after my dad passed. I tried to give him five minutes, just five minutes. And like within three minutes, I, I got to check my email. I'll go outside. Da, da, da. And it was like really a struggle to learn how to pay attention to someone else like that and to give them my full attention, even if it's just listening or even if it's just not being in their presence and thinking about them for five minutes. Yeah. And, and it, you know, when you're, when you're kind of busy in the day and doing all these other things, you know, five minutes doesn't sound that long kind of, you know, speaking it, but uh, at least for me, but when I want to say, oh, you know, five minutes to do this, that for some reason, like in my mind, like that's going to add like an hour to, you know, the day of things that I, you know, check off my list, which, which really isn't, isn't true. So it's kind of that, that mindset um, there, there as well. Yeah. yeah. And actually, if, if you, if it would be a terrible exercise to do, I think, but if you actually tracked yourself throughout the day, I could speak to myself. If I tracked myself throughout the day, how many five minute blocks am I wasting time in? A lot, <laughs> probably several hours, you know? So it's something that, you know, at first it seems kind of daunting, but the daunting part isn't the time. That's what I found. The daunting part is training our attention to pay attention to ourselves or to someone else in this way. That's the challenge, I think. Yeah, absolutely. That 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 makes sense. So so kind of, you know, obviously, you know, the going from movement to kind of feeling better about yourself and then obviously kind of the kindness aspect of it. Um how how long, I guess, was did it take to to kind of put the book together and kind of get that research and then um you know, I guess, you know, we talked about some examples here, but what are some some other kind of key key takeaways of kind of that trickle down effect and, and things that you can do um, to kind of help with that? Sure. Well, first, the book took me quite a number of years to to put together. I had the idea of it and I started writing it. And as I mentioned earlier, when I got to the part about being kinder to ourselves, I got blocked for about five years. And then and this is this was a big factor in it. Someone gave me a book called Oh, now I can't remember. It's by a guy named Guy Hendricks, and uh, I can't remember the name of it. But in it, he talks about about five zones. He talks about the zone of incompetence, the zone of competence, the zone of excellence, and the zone of genius. And the zone of most people spend their lives in the zone of competence in the zone of excellence. They make enough money, they're good at what they do, and the life goes on like that. And when I read this, I was like, wow, this is where I've been for a long time. And the zone of genius is the place where you push yourself to, to fulfill some aspect of yourself that you haven't realized yet. And that was the thing that made me, I'm going to write this book. And actually, from that point on, I finished the book in three months. And so it was a, a big learning for me too as well. So, you know, some of the takeaways that you ask about, well, in the book, I go into a lot of different understandings of what kindness is and how we understand it. 
and the, the, the misconceptions we have about it. Many people think, oh, so it's just going to tell me how to be kind, but that's not where I start. Where I start is, where are you already kind? And to start to acknowledge yourself for the good things that you do and the benefits you bring to yourself and other people, that's a better starting place than just wanting to change something right away. And the, the, I talked a little bit already about it's all in how you move. So that's one takeaway from the book. And that's when anyone who's listening can start practicing today, right? And just really paying attention to that. I speak a lot about generosity. And generosity is often equated with kindness, but it's, it's not always the same thing because generosity can be motivated for all kinds of funny reasons. So I don't know about you, but I know people who are very generous but they don't do well in receiving. Mm -hmm. You know, that's something that, again, mm -hmm. being kind to ourselves and how do we receive like that? Or people buy gifts that are too big or too small, or how do you know when a gift is just right for someone, right? And these are things to contemplate to help you realize something like this, you know. Um, another big thing that I think is probably, probably one of the more fundamental aspects that I talk about in the book is about listening, about listening to others. I can tell you a story from the book, uh, and most people can relate to this. So I was on a plane coming back from Europe. I was on the aisle, and across the aisle were two seats, and there were two women sitting there. We hadn't taken off yet, and one woman she was special, let me put it nicely like that. And um, she, she was like just talking, talking, talking and looking out the window. Oh my God, I can see my suitcase. And there was an Asian woman next to her. Oh my God, can you see your suitcase? Look at that, There's this, I've never been on a plane before. And oh, I thought, and then she says, are you Japanese? I've never met a Japanese woman before. And the woman says, no, I'm Korean. I've never met a Korean. And she was just going on and on. And I thought, oh, eight hours of that, can you imagine that? And then sometime later, I turn around and the Asian woman is gone and this overactive woman is there and she tries to catch my eye and I just kept looking away. <laughs> and then sometime later, the Asian woman was back and the other woman was gone. And I said, I, I just have to ask, what, what happened? And she said, well, she was driving me crazy. So I complained to the flight attendant and they put me in business class. And I said, so why are you here now? And she said, well, the other woman wanted her time in business class. And I thought, oh, the poor person in business class. So a little while later, I turn again, the Asian woman is gone and the other woman is back. And this time she catches my eye and I'm, I'm like stuck. And I noticed it and I just, instead of pulling away, which was my initial response, I kind of leaned in and started talking with her. And I must have talked with her for like five minutes. And then I said, I'm going to go back to reading my book now. And she was like, okay. And then I realized, I think we all know someone like this who's incredibly needy, who wants our attention, who can't let go. And imagine that person's experience of the world is people always pulling away from them because no one wants to be in that, get hooked into that kind of relationship or conversation. And what I discovered was that really listening to her and talking with her allowed her to feel calmer 
and get some of what she needed. Now, that story is, you know, a few minutes on a plane, but we know people like that in our lives. And I have to say again that practicing that kind of really giving someone my attention and listening in my everyday life, I was afraid that they were going to think, oh, now we're friends. But it hasn't happened like that. They're always happy to see me. We talk for a few minutes and I move away. And so actions like that are the things that I think really can change our experience of ourselves in the world. Now, I have to add a bit of a caveat to all this because I would say that pretty much all of the things in the book I'm pretty good at right now. I, I don't think I could have written about them if I didn't have an understanding as well as an ability to do things like that. But what I didn't expect is that the next level for me to become a kinder person has become an even bigger challenge that I've had to like figure out, my God, the, the next step for me to become kinder is like the next rung on the ladder is twice as high as it was before. <laughs> I can, I can read you, because th this, there's a quote I have from Ramdas I can read you, which really speaks to my issue around this. I'll, I'll read it. It says, when you go out into the woods and you look at trees, you see all these different trees. And some of them are bent. You sort of understand that it didn't get enough light, so it turned that way. And you don't get all emotional about it. You just allow it. The minute you get near humans, you lose all that. And you're constantly saying, you were to this, or I'm to this. The judgment mind comes in. And so I practice turning people into trees, which means appreciating them just the way they are. And, you know, I've been living with that quote for a while because I would say that's sort of the edge for me to be kinder. And I figured out a way to do it. And... I, I talk about different ways of doing this in the book too, which is how do we interrupt those moments easily, efficiently? So now, like if I'm in an airport or something, and look, I catch myself just staring at someone and making up a story about them. Sometimes it's a kind story. Sometimes it's not such a kind story. But either way, when I look at them now, I just say to myself, tree. <laughs> and I just think of the word tree, and I kind of like, oh, I open my eyes differently. I see them as just another person, not, not as someone to be judged positively or negatively. So uh, that's uh, some of the things that I think the, the, the book can help us all with. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's all great. And, and that, that's a, another kind of perfect uh, analogy with, with the tree. Um, I've, I've certainly never heard that analogy before. So um, that's definitely interesting, you know, you know, your example in an airport or out and about or whatnot to, uh, you know, think tree rather than this or that about that, about that individual. So um, definitely sounds like there's uh, some, some, some really insightful uh, things uh, within the book um, and kind of those, those stepping stones. So um, one, one thing I always like to ask our guest um, is, is one piece of advice for our listeners that they can kind of take away. Um, obviously we, we talked about a couple of different things from, from movement to, to kindness. Um, so when, when it comes to that, where, I guess, where is the best, um, starting point, I guess, to, to kind of, I guess that self-awareness that you, that you mentioned in a sense, as far as being kind to yourself and then kind of spreading that outwards, um, for, 
you know, someone who, who might, hasn't always had, you know, maybe the best perspective on, on themselves or anything like that. What are the, what are like the tiniest things that can kind of begin to shift that mindset? Well, the first thing I would say is your want. How much do you want to become the person who you imagine yourself to be? Because without that, it's just going to be someone else's idea and not so easy to do. So if you really want to do something like that, you need to start really small. I have a, another story in the book that I think maybe speaks directly to this, which is when I was 19, I moved out of my parents' house and I had the realization, I don't do anything well. And I didn't <laughs> like myself for sure. And I got it. In, I don't know where the idea came from, but I thought I'm going to learn to brush my teeth well. I don't think I was very good at it. And here's a funny thing. I picked something that was a solitary act. No one knew if I did it or didn't do it. And so I practiced brushing my teeth well. And it was funny, what I, what I came up against were all the internal voices and conversations of judgment, but it was about a kind of innocuous thing. So if you wanna better yourself, find something really small that you can practice without anyone knowing it. So no one can ask you how you're doing or judge you about it. You're, you're, you evaluate yourself that way, whether it's brushing your teeth or, like I said earlier, just walking across the room saying, I'm going to feel more pleasurable when I do this. Or just sitting in, in a meeting and going, am I comfortable? Could I be more comfortable? Little things like that, I think, are the best places to start because they're the places where we can find a, a, a modicum of success, right, as opposed to too big a goal that then is daunting and then we end up quitting. So that's that's the advice I would give people right now. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great, and and especially kind of to your point of, uh, you, you know, something that that seems small that other people won't know whether or not you're doing it. Um, I know there's 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 things that are challenge, I guess, challenges or changes that I've tried to make myself. But to to your point, you know, it's not something that I've made you know public or somebody sees me doing, and I feel like those small changes kind of happen uh, easier that way in my sense. But uh, to that point, where, where can people uh, find you online, check out the book um, and, and kind of learn more and pick it up? Sure. Well, the book's available on Amazon, uh, practice intentional acts of kindness and like yourself more. And I have a website for the book that's practicing dash kindness.com. And there you can read some inserts from the book and watch a video of me and uh, also get, the sample, the worksheet. There's a worksheet that comes along with the book and you can get a sample of that as well. So that would be the place to find it. And you can always contact me through the website as well. Awesome. Well, everyone definitely make sure I uh, check out the website, pick up a copy of the book. Uh, definitely some, some insightful stuff from the conversation. So I can't wait to check it out myself. Um, but Alan, I appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your story, your journey. Um, and of course the, the impact that, that you're making, um, by, by getting this out to the world. Thanks so much. And thanks for having me. And, uh, I hope everyone finds some benefit from our conversation. That would be great. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion until next time.